0: Sales Tuners, episode three, Roderick Jefferson, head of global enablement at Oracle Marketing Cloud.
1: We both know, Jim, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. We really want to be in that solution bucket.
0: This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The
1: only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from, from $1 million million to more than
0: $10 million, $10 million in just two years.
1: All I do is win, win.
0: It's time, it's time, it's time, it's Sales Time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Napoleon Hill, who says, Think twice before you speak, because your words and influence will plant the seed of either success or failure in the mind of another. My guest today is Roderick Jefferson, head of global enablement at the Oracle Marketing Cloud. RJ and I first crossed paths when Compendium, the startup that I led sales for, was acquired by Oracle in 2013. He's led leadership positions at several companies, including Salesforce, NetApp, and eBay. You might actually recognize his voice because when he's not helping salespeople grow their revenue, he's also a professional voiceover artist and has recorded commercials for the likes of 5-Hour Energy, Edward Jones, and McDonald's. Being from Texas, RJ is a master on the barbecue, and he's been a football coach for the last 20 years, coaching at all levels including Flag, Pop Warner, and he was even a head football coach at the high school level. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. A big thanks goes out to the team at Octave for helping make this podcast possible. We all know that a better sales process creates a better buying experience, and Octave is transforming the way sales documents are created, distributed, and tracked. Check out a demo at Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V dot All right. Be sure to check out all the links and show notes at salessooners.com. But now let's get to the conversation where Roderick tells me about his appreciation for the game of bocce ball. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, Roderick, tell me what I might have missed in that intro. And then tell me maybe what you're passionate about when you're not at work.
1: Sure. I think there's probably a couple of other names, but I'll, I'll start way back. I actually am a sales guy, first and foremost. Carried a bag for five years myself did some sales leadership, and realized that I actually loved the process of selling. Even going to President's Club didn't get me excited, but the actual process. And that's when I realized what my passion was. And just to be clear, it started out as sales training, if you will, that has now gone to sales productivity, sales effectiveness, et cetera. But um, that's the humble beginnings. And what I do when I'm not actually, on stage or in workshops and such it may surprise you but I actually have a bocce ball court in my backyard and play a whole lot of bocce
0: is there right?
1: barbecuing yeah <laughs> I'm a Texan we barbecue that's what we do
0: I love it what's uh, what's your favorite cut of meat to throw on the on the grill I've got to go brisket or ribs I love it I love it I'm not now I'm gonna wait for my invite out to uh, test your cooking so
1: open invitation you can't put that out there
0: without expecting you to come and uh, test the goods right very good very good well so so tell me more about what you said you know you, you said you've carried a bag for years you kind of started in, in more of a sales training capacity talk go go specific to that time uh, Roderick. how did you get into sales specifically
1: sure um i had left college i'd gone off and and played ball i'd come back and like most of us needed to get a real job and um, went into sales initially in telco at AT&T, and did fairly well, actually did very well. I said, made the President's Club, and then it just got to the point to where the taking down of big deals didn't get me as excited as the actual process. So what I did was actually went to my general manager and said, what if we could scale the processes of selling versus me doing it individually, and you could scale to, oh, 50, 60, 80, of me's with that process and from there came a brand new job that we called sales training at the time
0: And so you you've since taken that into many things and I think that um, It's it's obviously easier said than done that you can easily scale it up to 60 people or more What did that look like? How were you able to put that process in place to to scale your systems?
1: Trial-and-error, so I've always been a process focused guy so what I did was looked at the time of what really made sense from an efficiency perspective. How could I get more done uh, with less resources, less availability at the time? And it really started and took off when I moved into Siebel Systems. Because at that point, I actually grassrooted sales training at the time, and there was nothing in place. So we had to figure out, how do we put workshops together? How do we come up with the right resources? How do we do e-learning when I had, at that time, no budget, you know how that goes, do more with less. And so it's just kind of evolved from there and grown as the marketplace has grown. We've adapted the tools and the great thing about enablement and my definition of true enablement is not training. And And I'm putting together my latest blog that's called um, Training Ain't Enablement, <laughs> if you will. Sure. Because yeah, and no disrespect to IT, training is looked at kind of like the IT space. And what I mean there is you only think about it when something is broken and you throw training at it. How many times, Jim, have you heard we need more pipeline, we don't have enough closed sales, we're not getting enough leads? Oh, throw training at it. Sound familiar? Oh, absolutely. And that's where it differs from enablement. So my definition of enablement is getting the right people and the right conversations at the right time. Got it. And from from there, it's really about driving incremental revenue. We're no longer um, a cost center. We're really, truly an investment across the entire space of a company.
0: Uh, It totally makes sense to to me, Roderick, you know, we've talked, we break down this show into three components, the behaviors, the attitude, and the technique. So I'm going to go with you right now and just get right into the behaviors. And this is how, you know, this is what you do. So when you talk about getting the right people into the right conversations at the right time, what does that mean? What are you doing in the sales process today at Oracle? It's about change management, it's about orchestration, and
1: it's about being the hub that spokes out to every part of the company. And what I mean is, in example, when we put together our first call pitch, we put together our whiteboard um, definition POV, if you will, in room with sales, product marketing, and myself. So no longer are we that back end of the process, we're now ingrained and woven into the fabric of the organization. So here's an example for you, Jim. Um, I still go out to customers because I'm still a sales guy at heart. I've got to get out there, got to get my hands dirty. So when I go and talk to customers, I'm going with a different perspective than the salesperson. And that is, I'm listening to how the messaging and positioning is being put out there, but I'm also looking at how it's resonating with the customer so that I can come back to product marketing and say, hey, those 13 slides that you have for a first call pitch, They're only using six because at seven, it kind of derails the conversation or it gets a little murky. What can we do to trim this down? Then I go to product management and say, hey, I've talked to 10 customers and eight times I've heard the same request. How can we get that request moved up on the roadmap release cycle that's coming out? Go to HR and say, hey, I've got these people out there positioning and I don't know that we're really hiring the right persona and then come back to tie it all together with and believe it or not, the first line manager. Because those are the people that the rubber hits the the road and they're the people that are going to help us drive execution and they're also the people that we take our lead from. Because I never want to put something out that sales enablement thinks sales needs because I've been on that side of the board. We both know, Jim, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution we really want to be in that solution bucket.
0: Uh, It's absolutely right. And so as my next question was going to be, what is your relationship like with that individual sales rep and you know, maybe get specific, but uh, what is that relationship? Like, how are you talking to them on a daily, weekly basis? How are you, um, you know, are you doing post call with them? Talk to me about that.
1: Sure. My philosophy on enablement is that it's an ongoing occurrence, not a single event. As you remember when we were together at compendium. So, we touch these sales leaders and the individual contributors differently. So let's talk about the ICs first. We are the first people that they actually touch when they come in after they've done their onboarding with HR. So we own the relationship with them from onboarding, through continuing education, through um, ongoing surveys. We're constantly reaching out, getting their feelings and their thoughts and understanding what their needs are because we want to meet those and not come up with some convoluted, Uh, messaging, or or crazy training, if you will, that won't get um, taken and there'll be no uptake. So that's on the individual contributor side. We touch them frequently. We're doing things like objection handling. Um, We've rolled out a podcast library. We're touching them as frequently as possible to find out what they need. And then we're the delivery vehicle. Now on the other side, the leadership, we touch them from the very beginning as well. I'm part of, and my team are part of the interview cycle when we're bringing on new sales folks, believe it or not, Jim, we actually sit in on forecast calls to make sure that we're understanding what's happening with the business, not just what's going on from a needs perspective.
0: And so when you're sitting on those forecast calls, what is the role you're playing at that table? If if they start talking down the line of, Hey, we need more pipeline. We need more opportunities. We need more close one. What's your role at that point? Well, there's a couple of different things. One, it's really understanding what's happening with the business and
1: where we're going to and where we are from a numbers perspective. But let's put numbers aside for a second. It's really how can we be that delivery vehicle to get you guys to what you need. An example is, as you know, the marketing cloud is an amalgamation of multiply acquired companies. So it's important that everyone is speaking from the same page. So I look at those leaders as from a football analogy, going back to my old days. I've got five all-star quarterbacks in the same huddle. So I've got to get all of those people to realize, sorry, you're no longer a quarterback. You may be a punter. You may be a kicker. You may be a center. And first of all, it's about getting those roles in place. And secondly, from the forecast calls, what we get is an understanding of where the deficiencies are versus where the strengths are. And it's different in every region. So we have to figure out how we can come up with a standardized, non-standardized, if you will, process and approach to enablement from a tools and a process perspective that is global in nature, but regional in execution.
0: Tell me, because I don't know the exact number, how many people uh, are you providing coverage for or, or, or support for? <laughs> well, with inside
1: the marketing cloud, we've got about 1800 folks now, and that's one hat that I wear. There's another 20,000 on the broader Oracle side that we have to make sure are aware of our messaging and positioning so that we can collaborate and co-sell together. And we're all talking on the same page from an e- equal standpoint, not kind of going in as the fries to go with the big meal, if you will.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So how do you individualize that? Because, you know, you talked about regions, you talked about the, the collection of acquired products and that kind of deal, but how do you get down to that individual sales rep uh, and help them? What does that look like? It's both an art and a science, Jim. And the
1: science is, let's find out what you need that scales broadly. And the art is, how do we get you information that makes sense for you individually? And what I mean by that is, with some folks, as you know, they're visual learners. So we can send them to a number of portals. We can send them off to some e-learning. And then we've got a whole new crop of learners in the millennials very different from anything that any of us have ever dealt with and they require a special approach so what we've done for them is we break it down to chunks that we call knowledge bites these are five to seven minute um podcasts that are used as just-in-time training or also used for as reinforcement training so where with the i'll say seasoned guys like myself we would sit down and watch a a half hour video or an e-learning tutorial Ah, uh, no longer is that the case. So we had to adapt enablement to our learners rather than trying to force our learners to learn the way we teach.
0: It totally makes sense, especially as you talk about the new salespeople coming into the organizations that, you know, they they kind of want those quick wins. And and one of the things, you know, when I joined the Oracle family that kind of just was an aha moment for me. I had never really been provided any type of sales training on the job. I had put myself through the Sandler sales school 10 years ago. Uh, but, but Oracle takes pride in creating an ongoing education for, especially their new grads. uh, And I I mean that for everyone, but, but they had Oracle university that was six months of, we're going to teach you how to one sell and then two sell Oracle. And so this, this idea of that ongoing education of being able to teach the new, Millennials—the way they need to be taught, whether it be through podcast, that just-in-time education—it's fascinating to me. I, I want to take that down the coaching path, and I think you know, uh, getting into your football background again. But what does the role of coaching uh, look like in h- the highest-performing salespeople?
1: It is a joint, collaborative effort. We are sometimes coach, we're sometimes mentor, and you know, sometimes cheerleader. And you know, there are other times where we're just here to listen. And I'll tell you what my team has done very, very well, and, and it's something that I learned a long time ago from one of my mentors. And that is, every time we start a conversation with a salesperson, we ask this very same three-part question. Do you want me to listen? Do you want me to fix? Or do you want me to coach? And what that does is let you know what set of ears to put on for that individual. And it's amazing, Jim, how it completely changes a conversation and disarms right away or sets a level playing field to where we're not above talking down from the mountain on high. We're really a
0: friend and sometimes we're a safety net. I I literally made a note to myself right there. I'm taking that. I'm using it immediately because, I mean, that's just, I think that's in relationships in general, but sales is a relationship, right? So to truly understand what that role is that you, that they need you to play at that moment, I think that's powerful, RJ.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it. And And it has changed the way that we approach the relationship. And I I think it's fundamentally changed the relationship, the level of credibility, and most importantly, the level of trust, because we're we're both sales guys. We both know if I trust you and you know the secret handshake, you're a salesperson. If you don't (laughs) know the handshake, you're one of those other people, (laughs) and we're going to kind of push you aside.
0: It couldn't be more correct. I want to move us into uh, the attitude portion of this, and that's just simply how you feel about what you do. Uh, and again, so I'm I'm talking to you from the sales enablement route, but what you do is influence uh, the best of the best salespeople that, you know that I've ever worked with. That relationship that you have, you know, you talked to me just now about how you're coaching them, but how do they feel about? you, and, and you is the generalized you of enablement, right? I would start to think, well, they're going to get in my way. They're going to put something in front of my customer or my prospect that is going to ruin the deal. Uh, you know, Those are some of the negative attitudes that I start to have toward this. Do you see that? How do you overcome it? What are your thoughts about that? You know, early in my career, I saw a lot of that
1: because uh, even as someone from enablement, there's never a good time for training. I don't care what your role is. Um, I don't particularly like sitting in workshops myself, I'm the first to say it, but what has happened is a shift, and that shift has come from our stakeholders now over the last three years that are selling the merits and the value of what we do. And we've changed our approach, and I think that's why they've changed how they view enablement. And, and the example is, um, when I do uh, a sales bootcamp or our onboarding process, The first thing, the very first thing I tell them is first of all, I'm one of you. Completely disarms what they're expecting. And the second piece is, I am here with a goal of making you more successful and more money than you've ever made in any position you've had previously. Imagine how that endears us. And then we continue for the next 90 days to show and prove how we're here to make them successful And I've told my team, and I sit in the back and and, and I monitor from time to time, if I'm hearing I, 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 and us, and we more than I'm hearing you, we're saying the wrong things.
0: Yeah. Give me some examples, if you will. Get get as specific as you can about how you're doing that in a one-off basis. Sure. Here's a perfect
1: example. We've got um, an accreditation, a stand and deliver that we call the whiteboard POV, which is essentially messaging and positioning across the entire stack of the Oracle Marketing Cloud. So my team's responsible for making sure that all of our newly onboarded and new hires accreditate on this process. Here's the interesting thing. No one expects the head of global enablement to be one of the accreditors. Hmm. I will jump on and accreditate, and not only that, but I also make sure that I carve out some time for individual coaching with that person, to show them that what I promised you during that week of live training, I'm willing to follow up on. But we take it one step further. We then follow up with a 30-day post-training survey directly to the individual to find out how what we showed them is actually being used and useful in practical application. Then we also follow up with a 90-day post-training survey that is to both the individual and their manager, two reasons. One, at 90 days we figure you're right at the cusp of moving from new hire into our legacy or continual ed. And secondly, it is a force mechanism for a conversation between the individual contributor and that first line manager. They may think they're a four on a scale of five, manager may say you're a three. They may think they're a two, manager may say you're a five. It's a collaboration point there, and it's also a calibration point between them. So what we're doing is continually connecting dots. If I could change my title to VP of Connect the Dots, I think that would be the perfect definition of hmm. what it is that my team does.
0: I, I like that analogy. So you know, I, I probably have listeners out there that uh, you know, or maybe in smaller organizations, and they're thinking this is great for Oracle. How do you apply the sales enablement philosophy at a smaller company? When do you begin? Where do you begin, and what does that look like?
1: Sure. The great thing about what you just said is, I've always come in at smaller companies and grown into larger. So I did when I even when I walked into the marketing club, there was no enablement. We had just begun. We had just acquired um, Eloqua, and we were about you know two three hundred people. So where you see this monstrosity of of what we call Oracle, that's not the world that I play in and live in. The world I play in is really down at the smaller space and growing. So here's an analogy of when to bring someone in for sales enablement. And it's a house analogy. So as you're building a home and you've got the black paper and you've got the windows on, that's the time to bring an enablement. Because once the floors are laid and all of the inside's done and you're hanging the keys off to the homeowner, it's time for us to move on to the next project. We are natural builders. We're not here to always maintain those programs. The love that we have is watching all of the dots connect in the building process. And it also helps that we have influence at the executive leadership level early on in the process, rather than being an afterthought, again, that you throw training at.
0: It's totally resonating with me, but I'm just kind of hearing the pushback. It's like, yeah, that sounds great, RJ, but I need more quota carrying reps out there hitting their numbers. I don't have the money to spend on this. And and, and, you know, you, you talked earlier about it not being a cost center, but I got to think that, you know, in in that one to two to $3 million ARR range, that's kind of what people are thinking. This is cost. Oh,
1: I I can certainly see where they're coming from. Now, let me give you the opposite of that side. What will it cost the company? If you've got those few sales reps out, that are messaging and positioning inconsistently or incorrectly with your standing inside of the market space in which you're playing in. So look at it as, again, an investment up front. Certainly it's going to be a cost soon. I don't pretend that there isn't. But what you can do is a collaboration of best practices first, and that is grabbing those top sales folks, grabbing the folks from product marketing, grabbing your leadership team and saying, what can we do to replicate what we see that's being done in successful reps? And then that leads into a full-blown enablement program. I've never walked into an enablement program that existed. Every company that you've named off, I walked in as a team of one. And I think the best thing that I brought was the sales background and the speaking of sales but being able to translate that and drive programs. Because what you want is consistency. And what I always tell people is the best way to justify enablement is through hardline ROI figures. So if you look at us as driving incremental revenue rather than, oh, training, then at that point what you can do is go back and here's what I do. I won't even give you pie in the sky. This is what I do on a regular basis. When I need to justify headcount, I go back and say, at this point I can tell you time to productivity. What's the first close? What's the average deal size by segment for both SMB, enterprise, et cetera? I can go and talk about the number of closed deals. I can go and talk about product mix by segment, which is critical for us, as you know, because we're a bunch of different acquired companies. We don't want people selling just what they know and what they're comfortable with, but across the entire stack. Then I can even go further downstream to the BDRs, BDCs, and SDRs, and talk about activities now that lead to the number of qualified leads that then turn into sales. So, you see what I'm talking about is hardline figures around driving incremental revenue versus we've got this number of people, this many butts and seats, we need to run these kind of programs, we need to figure out this kind of sales methodology. It's not about that anymore. It's about what can we do to help drive incremental revenue, close more deals faster, increase productivity per head, and decrease that ramp up time. What if I could tell you how to shorten your ramp up that's now six months to four months or five months. Think about the incremental revenue that you're getting essentially for free. That's the conversation you need to be having with your sales leaders and your executives at small companies versus we need an onboarding program or we need a podcast library. They don't care about that. You need to say, I'm here to drive incremental revenue And here's how we're going to validate that with ROI figures.
0: I I, I want to take what you just said. I'm going to move us into the technique portion of it because you just started to hit on it. Uh, So technique is just simply, it's how you do what you do. So Roderick, I'm going to ask you that question. How do you do what you do? So you're taking that new sales rep, that SDR or BDR from zero to ramped up in four months instead of six. What does that look like? How are you doing that and what does it mean?
1: Well, it, it means more, at the end of the day, more incremental revenue. And it also means more at-bats down at the, at the BDR and SDR level. And what we want to do is bring them in initially. We get them set up on on our basic onboarding program, HR-specific. You know, let's get all of the the where's the the printers and bathroom and all that out of the way. Then what we do is we, we provide them with a standardized program that includes both e-learning to establish a baseline, kind of the what is and then when we bring them in live, I believe you should only get what you need to get in a room. Otherwise, no need to, to incur the capital expenditure of training. So there we focus on how to how to position key differentiation, competitive advantage, and business value. When we're done with that, then and only then that we've established this baseline. And in there, you've also had to do your accreditation to validate that you can articulate the um, first call pitch. Then and only then. We go directly into um, a buddy system that's focused on how to do that specific job that is tied to someone that is actually doing the job successfully today. I don't believe in theory. I want to get your hands dirty. And sometimes I want you to learn how to. Other times you need to hit the concrete to figure out how not to. But I think there's a learning experience from both.
0: Uh, absolutely. Uh, just j- it just so happens my little boy is learning to ride a scooter, and last night, boy, he fell off and skinned his knees really bad. But you're right; you have to hit the concrete to be able to get back up and understand what it was that caused you to fall off and how you're going to do it differently the next time. I think that was a very timely analogy, at least for me. But uh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah. So, RJ, you know, eighteen hundred reps at Oracle, thousands more at uh, at Salesforce when you were there. What's the biggest thing from your coaching standpoint do you think that holds people back and and really holds great salespeople back from hitting the goals that they, you know, they should hit?
1: It's going to sound crazy, but I've thought about this one a lot and it comes down to a simple phrase. People are afraid to say, I don't know. They assume that they have to be the subject matter expert on everything. And that's not true. I believe in the old adage of your net worth is determined by your network. So I always teach salespeople when they're coming in, get to know 10 people within the sales organization, then get to know 10 people inside the company outside of sales. Start building what I call your personal um, ecosystem, because you're going to need these people at some point. Also, sales folks intrinsically, for some reason, have always believed that I'm valuable because of what I know. No, 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 no. I want to shift that. I'm invaluable because of what I share. And if we can learn from that tribal knowledge from one another, from best practices, and also, as we were just talking about, from those skin knees, we drive forward. And also, the final piece is, sales enablement is an asset. They are your friends. They are here to make you successful. Now, we're sales partners, we're not sales scribes. Oh, we need this, go fix this. We're here to really take that voice Spread it out again with that hub-and-spoke model to every other part of the organization and also to take in. So it's an ebb and flow. We've got to be better listeners than we are talkers.
0: RJ, that was pretty powerful. I love the way you, uh, you were able to break that down. Uh, we're going to take a quick break uh, and then when we come back, RJ, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales tuners, don't you go away either. Sales tuners, Octave has built a sales productivity platform that streamlines the workflow for creating and managing your sales documents. Everything from presentations and quotes to all of your proposals and contracts. They can pull data from your CRM, CPQ, and ERP systems, saving you time and accelerating each sales opportunity. Octave has been around since 2010, and now serves more than 400 organizations. I'm talking global enterprises, guys like GE and Siemens, national brands like Angie's List and FedEx Office, and even industry innovators like Double Dutch and Lindabud Bell. You've got to check them out. Go to octave.com. That's o c t i v.com to learn more. And hey, during your demo, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Sales Tuners podcast. Buy me, buy me. We are back and it's time for the money round. RJ, are you ready for the money round? I believe I'm about as ready as I'm gonna be here. I love it. RJ, what's the number one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Um, Mentors and
1: sponsors and knowing the difference between the two and how to utilize them.
0: If you were to start over today in sales, what would you spend the next 30 days doing? Um, Getting to know
1: people that have done the job successfully and gleaning from them
0: which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? Oh,
1: I hate to lose. Um, There is nothing worse than that feeling for me because I'm always going to second guess what I could have done differently.
0: Absolutely. Uh, RJ, what's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others?
1: The Challenger
0: Sale. The sales tuners, if you'd like to check out RJ's suggestion of the Challenger sale for free, head over to SalesTuners.com book, and there you can sign up for a 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's SalesTuners.com book to check out the Challenger sale. RJ, what's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today?
1: Keep grinding. Um, whenever it looks dark, there's always a light at the tunnel, and it's not always a train coming at you.
0: I'll get you out of here on this one uh if someone wanted to follow up with you and connect after the show how would they do that
1: sure there's a number of ways you can find me on linkedin roderick jefferson you can find me at uh, my website roderickjefferson.com you can also find me on twitter at the voice of rod
0: very good all right really appreciate your time today thank you so much hey thanks a lot jim i really
1: do appreciate um the time and also the opportunity to share some of uh, my background. And I hope that I've helped some of the listeners out there. If there's any questions, feel free to reach out.
0: Such an incredible conversation today with RJ. I want to get to my top takeaways. Uh, Number one, your network is your net worth. Spend the time necessary to grow your relationships, both inside your organization and outside of it. Because one of the most powerful phrases you can say is, I don't know and then bring in a third party to provide additional value. Number two, coaching high performers. Before starting the conversation, use a simple three-part question. Do you want me to listen? Do you want me to fix? Or do you want me to coach? Not only is this disarming, it completely changes the attitude in the conversation from the get-go. Number three, enablement is ongoing. Simply put, enablement is not a single event. It's getting the right people in the right conversations at the right time, armed with the right information, and it can't start early enough. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at salestuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email lists where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. And again, you can check out all the links and show notes for every episode at salestuners.com. All right, I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales, Sales Tuners. Kids. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't
1: forget to subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes.
0: And they stay there.